Well, I'm not sure any movie best captures the challenge of in-laws than Christmas Vacation. I always feel like Christmas doesn't begin until I see that. It's a little early this season for us. But it just reminds you, if you've seen that movie, the challenges of living with, dialoguing with, having time with your in-laws and your outlaws. And in our series, The Really Wed Game, we're looking at the difference between those early years when you're newlywed to the challenges of being really wed. And isn't it true that you didn't realize how different your experience was growing up until you began to live with somebody who grew up very differently? And there was a collision of styles, what is normal, what is typical, what is healthy. I know between the Hovens and the Gilberts, lots of differences. I've alluded to a few of them before, but one is like how we make bacon. At the Gilberts, every strip is set down, four pieces in a pan. It is cooked perfectly even and then flipped over and cooked perfectly even. At the Hovens, there's lots of people over. We dump all the bacon into a big pan and we stir the bacon, stir the bacon, stir the bacon. And when you get it, it's not completely cooked well and there's some fat spots and that's fine. Those are just the the fat spots. And you stir the bacon. For Christmas, at the Hovens, gift giving is a huge part of our love language. And so when it comes time to buy gifts or, or to open gifts, it's youngest to oldest. We all watch. Everybody opens one gift. The person who gave the gift gets to see the look on the face when you open it. We go around. It takes about two and a half hours to open our gifts. Gigantic pile for everybody. Now, when we go to the Gilberts first couple times, it was like, ready, set, go. Everybody opening gifts all at once. Total mayhem, but the whole thing was over in five seconds. It was just different. I have my future son-in-law living with us for the last two months as he was finishing up college and my my daughter and he are getting married in about 30 days. So very exciting time. But in that, it's also been a collision of, hey, what's, what's some differences you've noticed between the Hovens and the Strong household? He says, does anyone around here eat breakfast? No, no, we don't actually. You guys are not morning people, are you? No, no, but boy, we'll stay up till midnight with you. I said, what else have you noticed? He goes, I don't know anyone in my family who's ever been on a vacation. You guys are always talking about your next vacation. Like, live with autism and you will be dreaming about your next vacation. Yes. And so there's this collision of cultures that occurs when you come face to face with a different family. And that's certainly true as we set boundaries and set up patterns for our in-laws and our outlaws. As we do that today, we're going to look at, there's a great quote from a woman named Deborah Tannen. She said that families, all families, are like a cross-cultural experience in that each partner was born into a particular family and every family is a nation unto itself with its own customs and even ways of speaking. Some people are very direct, some are very indirect. Some you would never say that. Other times, why would you not say that? It creates a lot of complexity when you get to the really wed game. And every family has a game. And if you don't decide how to play the game, the game's going to play you. In fact, we need to decide how to play the game so the game doesn't decide to play us. So what does it look like to set healthy behaviors, healthy dynamics into our relationships so we know how to play the game in a way that is healthy and not be drawn into games that are playing us as a couple or as a family? As I mentioned last week, I'm, I don't have a silver bullet. If I had a silver bullet, we'd all be, million, you know, we'd all be millionaires. We could sell the silver bullet to Family Dynamics. But instead, I want to give you a lens, a lens that you can look through very complicated, very difficult, very challenging Family Dynamics, 
and try and have a lens to be able to act wisely in the midst of that. And today we're going to look at four ups. Four ups that we can do as we approach our family dynamics. And the first one we're going to look at is how to speak up. That as you come from a culture that's been different and your spouse has come from a culture that's different, how do you speak up for healthy behavior? Now in this series we're covering David, King David, once Shepherd David, killed Goliath, and his challenging, challenging ability to deal with his father-in-law. Now, quick background on him, he's the one who defeated Goliath, he's married a princess, he's been married into the family, he's become a war hero, he's an incredible poet, his songs are being sung all across the nation, his popularity has increased the king, who's becoming very insecure and very suspicious about that fact. He's getting very, very angry about that. Now, the king, Saul, has a son named Jonathan, who is much older than David. David was about 18 when he killed Goliath. And this son, Jonathan, should be the one that's suspicious. He should be the one who's very, very concerned that this guy's going to take his job. He should be very concerned that the prophet of God told David he's going to be the next king. And yet, despite that, Jonathan, who's going to lose his ability to be king because of David... The two come together and decide to speak up for healthy behavior. They decide with all of the chaos and all of the jealousy and all of the backbiting and all of the backstabbing and all the weirdness that's going on in the family, they're going to speak up and make some decision about what is healthy and what is not. Here's what Jonathan does. When they finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go back to his father's house anymore. That was uh, David. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant, a commitment, because they loved him as his own soul. And they exchange um, some armament with each other as sort of a signal that they are going to speak up for good behavior. Whatever dad asks to do, whatever family members ask to do, we are going to speak directly to each other. We're going to trust each other. We're not going to let things get between our friendship. We're not going to allow people to triangulate us. They decide to speak up for healthy behavior. And in a family where there doesn't necessarily have been model healthy behavior, you're going to have to speak up and decide, make a covenant or a commitment to what is acceptable and what is not. What you're going to be engaged in and what you're not going to be drawn into. Now, not only does Jonathan make a commitment to not get brought into the game, but to speak up for what's healthy, but so does his sister, who married David. Her name is Miguel. Now, Miguel, dad tries to triangulate with her and say, listen, I know you let, I let you marry this guy, but quite frankly, he's getting too popular. He's going to take over my kingdom. He's become a threat. I'm bringing my soldiers to kill him tonight. So you keep him at home, keep him in the bedroom, whatever you need to do, we're coming to kill him. And Miguel also made a commitment to speak up for healthy behavior. <clears throat> I'm going to protect my marriage more than my extended family. I'm going to prioritize my marriage over... My dad, who I love and honor. So she actually turns to David that night and says, David, if you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you're going to be killed. I've got to let you know, bad things are in store. Now, obviously, as we talked about last week, there's exceptions for abusive relationships. But in general, the main principle the Bible talks about is when we prioritize our marriage, we say, my marriage is more important and I'm not going to let others divide us. And if we have family members on either side of the family who are trying to divide you and your spouse, your marriage is your first loyalty. That's one of the things we speak up for in our marriage. We speak up for our marriage as our priority. When our kids try to divide us, and is anyone better than dividing us than our kids? When we know mom will say yes or dad will say no, we speak up for mom and dad make decisions as a team. 
So before we decide, I need to talk to your mother, I need to talk to your father. But speak up for what are the parameters and what are the the rules of the game that are going to typify how we make decisions as a family. And sometimes that means you need to speak up for that to dysfunctional people. I had a good friend of mine, his name's Peter. He uh, was a business guy in the uh, Shetland Islands. And his mom just went through incredibly difficult circumstance. So much so that when Peter was eighth grade, he lived in Scotland, and he saw his father on a bus with a whole other family. His dad had a second family as a polygamist on the other side of town. And this came out, and you can imagine the devastation. So rightfully so, his mom had been through a lot of trauma. Now he's 40, and mom has a tendency to call Peter up and say, you know, your brother's really upset at you. Really? What for? Well, I don't really want to go into the details, but I'll try and, I'll try and calm it down. I just want to let you know. And what he began to realize is mom had such a need to be needed that she would kind of invent or exaggerate problems and everybody would get mad at each other because they were all hearing it through the triangle that was mom. So he turned to his mom. He says, Mom, I want you to know I appreciate your care for me and for family. I want you to know I want to talk to my brother directly so you don't have to have this burden. No, 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 it's not a burden. I love doing it. I know, but I'm going to speak up that I'm going to talk directly to my brother. And so he called up his brother and he called up his sister and said, Listen, if I ever have a problem with you, I'm not going to tell mom. I'll call you directly. And I would ask you to do the same. And it created some friction because the rules of the game before was that mom triangulates everything. But it began to restore trust in the family when he decided to speak up, make a covenant to what is healthy communication going to look like. I remember when uh, Brandon, who's uh, my future son-in-law, he came and asked me if he could marry Sierra. And so we're having a conversation. I said, well, listen, I would love not just to have a 50-year friendship with Sierra and with Javen and with Quinn. Obviously, it's up to you, but I'd love to have a 50-year friendship with you. And as a pastor, as a counselor, as somebody who works with families, let me tell you one of the gifts we can give to this woman that we both love. Let's not triangulate her. If you and I can have a good friendship, if you have a problem with me, I am wide open to feedback. I am wide open to being wrong. Please come tell me if you're concerned so you don't have to go through Sierra and then she's got to figure out how to say it. I said, and I hope the same thing. If you're open to it, I'd like if I'm concerned about something, I'd come directly to you. And so we've been living together for about two months now as he finished up college, uh, 30 days before they get married. And it just creates such a great dynamic to set the stage for our relationship. Actually, I got that idea from a friend who was a small group leader here at Horizon many years ago. And he said that he had a similar thing. He felt like his daughter was getting triangulated into some concerns he had with his son-in-law and son-in-law with him. And he asked permission from his daughter to take his son-in-law out and say, I want to have some man-to-man discussions. I feel like we're hurting this woman we love, would you be willing to have some face-to-face conversations so that we don't do that? And it became a very difficult but ultimately healthy dynamic to speak up for what are the communication lines we're going to agree to as a family. Speak up. Make a commitment to what are the rules of communication in your family. Secondly, sometimes we need to wake up. Especially if you have a tender heart, especially if you have a tendency to be overly optimistic, it's hard to wake up to the reality that there are sometimes people in the family who are toxic, who are unhealthy, who are even destructive. And some of us say, oh, no, 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 everybody's really good in their hearts. No, they're not. Or maybe you've got to go take 50 years to dig down to find it. I'm not saying there isn't some truth down there somewhere. But we need to wake up to the reality that there are toxic people. And we need to wake up to the reality that sometimes people we love and care about who have a lot of great qualities 
can be toxic in some areas toward our spouse, toward our kids. And it's hard to wake up to that. But we're not going to be able to deal with the realities of family if we don't wake up to the reality of brokenness. In her book, Toxic In-Laws, the author describes five types of toxic in-laws. And you might have a toxic in-law or you might be a toxic in-law. But here's some things we need to wake up to. Some of us, there's members of our family who are just critics. They're just habitual critics and gripers. And no matter what you do, they bring a toxic amount of criticism. And if you don't decide what presence you're going to be in, you're going to triangulate into gossip, triangulate into division, and triangulate into just talking bad about whoever's not in the room. The critics, the engulfers. When you married into this family, you didn't know, but you signed in on a dotted line that you are now been uh, enlisted into every family project done by anybody in the family because that's what that family does. And that's a great strength of the family probably. But setting up boundaries is what do we participate in and what don't we? We did not, we're not going to be engulfed into this. The controllers. That there are folks who, just like King Saul is, truly is a controller and it's destructive. He's not trying to have a relationship. He's trying to control you and use you like a pawn piece in his ultimate chess game. The masters of chaos. There are some family members that were compassionate toward whatever happened in their past, but you get around them for more than a day or two days, and it is just chaos. The way they talk to each other, the way they interact, the way they sort of bring chaos into every situation. And so if you don't decide, hey, that is just true. That's been true for 10 years. And if you don't decide how to play that game, we're going to stay at a hotel next Thanksgiving so we can get away from the chaos for a few hours or not have everybody at our house, or whatever it is. If you don't decide how you're going to play that game, I promise you that game is going to continue to play you. And there are rejectors. No matter how hard you try, no matter what modifications you make, no matter what changes you make, there are some people that are going to continue to reject you and not think you're good enough no matter what. So you're going to have to make some decisions as to what level of behavior you allow as a family. Well, that's exactly what Jonathan has to do because David is, realizes that King Saul's trying to kill him. He's, he's all the above and then some. He's a controller, he's a manipulator, he's an engulfer, he's a critic, he's a rejecter. And David's like, I think he's trying to kill me. My wife tells me he's trying to kill me. So he runs to his friend Jonathan because they made this commitment, right? He says, Jonathan, do you have any idea what I've done? Is there a sin I've committed? Is there an iniquity I've done? What is going on that I could make things right with your dad? Because I think he's trying to kill me. And Jonathan, who loves his dad, grown up with his dad, cares about his dad, says, no, 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 by no means is that true. Dad is not trying to kill you. You just, you're getting carried away here. In fact, if dad was trying to kill you, he would have told me so that I could have helped him with it. If nothing else, you're blowing things out of proportion. And David's like, I'm not blowing things out of proportion. There is one step between me and death is what he'll say in the next verse. There's like one small step between me and death. And Jonathan has to wake up to the reality that a man he loves and cares about has become suspicious, narcissistic, and actually is trying to kill someone he cares about. That's a tough thing to wake up to. And hopefully we're not waking up to something that destructive, but you have to wake up to some things. I had a conversation with a friend recently who has some family members who got into some pretty toxic, uh, addictive behaviors. And it was becoming dangerous for them and dangerous for the extended family. 
but there were some family rules that you always get together for family dinner on X, Y, and Z night. And he didn't want to have his kids exposed to these type of behaviors. And all of a sudden, he was trying to figure, I got to wake up. To, I want to be with the family. I want to be around them. I don't want to withdraw, but I also can't expose my family to certain dangers. And the chaos it created in the family system as he was trying to wake up to the reality that he needed to be a protector of his family while trying to respect whatever he could in his extended family. But he had to wake up. We couldn't just let the game play him. I remember my dad. My dad has two brothers who are very, very obstinate, both my uncles. And one of them, my Uncle Mark, who passed away several years ago, he would come to visit our family. My, my uncle was very, very wealthy. He um, worked in the, in the oil business in Saudi Arabia and many, many other things. And he came over, and my dad was a school teacher. He made like $6,000, his annual salary his first year. And so my dad was a master MacGyver of getting the most out of a little, but didn't have a lot of money. And so when Mark and my cousins came over, he would just let his kids come in, and my dad always had us take our, our shoes off, and his kids would just run the dirt all the way through our house. And so my dad sort of pulled my uncle aside and said, Hey, Mark, that's hey, okay if that's what you do at your house, but, you know, we, we'd prefer if the kids would take their shoes off at our house because we don't have to clean the carpet. And Mark's like, well, just clean the carpet, and if it gets bad, you buy new carpet. So my dad, who's not really about conflict, says, well, I can appreciate that's what you guys do at your house, but while you're at my house, you know, kind of went in Rome, do as the Romans. And my uncle said, or you just don't visit Rome. Last time he showed up at our house. You got to wake up to some people you can't negotiate with. No matter how kindly you are, no matter how cautious you are, no matter how nice you are, there's some people you've got to wake up to. There's just dysfunctional people. And you're going to have to set boundaries. So speak up for what is healthy behavior going to look like. Wake up to the reality that really are toxic people. And then third, there's going to be times that you need to button up. There's times you've got to just close your mouth and not say what you want to say. Because it's going to be destructive for the whole system. There's times to speak up and there's times to button up. So Jonathan is trying to test his thesis. Is my dad really going crazy? So what he does is he and David create a a plan. And part of the plan is that David is going to hide out in the woods instead of coming to family dinner for two days. And that's going to be a chance for Jonathan to test his father. Well, Jonathan goes to dinner and his dad is furious when he shows up for the second day in a row and David's not there. And he turns to Jonathan at the dinner table and says, where is the son of Jesse? He wasn't here today. He wasn't here yesterday. What's going on? To which Jonathan says, oh, well, he asked permission to go back to his hometown of Bethlehem, where Saul had told him never to return, and I gave him permission. So he lies, which gets an ethical dilemma here. Is it ever appropriate to lie? Well, the Bible does not teach situational ethics, but it does teach uh, a weighting of ethics. And the highest ethic, or the weightiest ethic, always is the protection of life. So whenever deception is used, kind of the, do you lie when the Nazis come to your door? Yes, you lie to Nazis. Yes, you lie to Nazis to protect life. The Bible always affirms that protecting life is the highest ethic. So, for example, in the book of Exodus, there's a bunch of Pharaoh sends people to kill off the children, and the Egyptian midwives lie to protect life. In the book of uh, Joshua, there's some uh, Joshua and Caleb are hiding out on Rahab's place in Jericho. She lies to the assassins in order to protect their life. So the Bible doesn't talk about situational ethics, but it does always say the highest ethic is always protecting life. And we're going to see here is where he lies in order to protect David's life to create this test for his dad. 
And his dad goes ballistic. I mean ballistic. Saul's anger was aroused against Jonathan. And as he's aroused, I want to show you that Jonathan was able to stay buttoned up. Amazingly so, considering what his dad's about to say. I think there's two quick applications under button up that are worth thinking about today. Number one is our family is so good at pushing our buttons and throwing hooks out to hook us back into the family system. Don't bite the hook. These systems are are sometimes decades old. Your family knows how to hook you back in. Don't bite the hook. Look what his dad says to him and imagine how hard it was to stay buttoned up and not speak out. Saul's anger was aroused against Jonathan. You son of a perverse, rebellious woman. He makes fun of his mom. Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? You've decided that blood isn't thick enough and you've made your allegiance. He then, for some other reason, starts talking about his naked mom. (laughs) Except here's somebody who's just thrown out hooks. And your, your dad, your mom, your sister-in-law, your brother, your kids may not say it the same way, but they got hooks. They know how to push your buttons. Don't bite the hook. Part of that means buttoning up with family. Let's keep going. He says, For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, you shall not be established, nor your kingdom. He's not taking my kingdom, son. He's taking yours. You should be suspicious. You should be mad. I'm mad for you. Now, therefore, send and bring him to me. I know you know where he is, and he will surely die. The amount of self-control that must have required him to stay buttoned up. And I want to show you what he did, because I think it's a second point under button up, which is that we need to privately process our emotions before we publicly address them. And especially with family, trying to find the proper place to privately process what's going on when somebody tries to bait us is not easy to do. It's easy just to fight or flight back. But look what happens. Jonathan's honest. He is furious. Jonathan arose from the table. I need to not be here right now. Or I'm going to say something I shouldn't. In fierce anger. He arose, he's angry. Right? There's nothing wrong. This is appropriate to be angry when your dad's accusing you of these things. And he ate no food the second day of the month. He just, I've got to get away. I've got to fast. I've got to ask God to help me process this. If I'm going to stay buttoned up on this thing, I've got to feel like what I'm feeling. And he realized not only is he angry, but he's actually hurting. He's grieved that his dad, who he loves would treat his brother-in-law so shamefully that his dad is so lost, his dad is so broken. And most of us, we know how to speak up. (laughs) We don't know how to button up. Because we don't have a step where we know how to, don't take the bait, and I need to go process what I'm feeling. I had one of those moments this week. I sat down with a friend of mine in the 70s, a good friend who's a counselor, and I said, man, I have just had so much stress on me for the last nine months between typical stuff, autism stuff, my wife having back surgery, recovery from that, side effects, everything else. And I just listed a page and a half of each one could have been a 10-page download, but of just the bullet points. I said, could you help me process this? He said, Chad, I'm not sure how you're standing let alone with a little bit of joy in your voice. I said, I'm not sure either. 
but I need somebody who can help me process this in a healthy way. And so I asked if he would meet with me every two weeks so I could process this to make sure that I'm not doing something hurtful to people around me because I've got inner turmoil within me. How do we speak up for healthy behavior? Wake up to the reality of brokenness. Button up when it's going to be destructive to speak. And lastly, how do we set up? How do we set up healthy boundaries? And so remember, Jonathan has got David hiding out in the woods and they come up with a code uh, 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 set some boundaries to protect him from, from Saul. In order to do that, he comes out for his daily archery. So Jonathan's a, a warrior, he's an archer. So he comes out with a little ball boy, an arrow boy, a lad that's with him. And he says, hey, I'm going to shoot some arrows today. Now Jonathan knows that David is hiding in a way that he can hear him. Because he knows the soldiers everywhere trying to kill him. And so as he sends the lad out, hey, go pick up the arrows, he says to the young lad, though the young lad doesn't know it's code, make haste, hurry up, and don't delay bringing those back. That was the code phrase that they had devised, that if David heard him say, make haste, it's, your dad is out to kill you, and you better run for your life. So they set up some boundaries in their original commitment to protect each other, and now he's woken up to the reality his dad is very, very broken. And now he's trying to protect his brother-in-law, even though it's a threat to his future kingdom, because it's the right thing to do, with this sort of code phrase language that they're using in order to make sure that they're doing right by each other, like they originally committed. Lad comes back, doesn't know anything different, and David runs off and begins a whole multi-chapter journey of trying to escape from Saul. Yet what's amazing is despite all these attacks on his life, you'll see this next week as Ken Kingdom speaks with us, David continues to try and extend grace and forgiveness and opportunity to to restore and repair despite the dysfunctional behavior. Just amazing, amazing amount of grace. Still had boundaries. I got to get out of some situations. But made constant attempts to try and see if there's a way to reconnect. Sometimes you need to set up boundaries. And I don't know what yours are, but if you don't, decide how you're going to play the game, what the boundaries are, I promise you the game's going to play you. It just is. Like with my dad, for example. My dad and I have a great relationship. But my dad and I are very, very different. When Javen was born, we couldn't really afford to get a bigger house because we'd only been in the house for two years. And so I devised a very ambitious plan, which was to add a third square footage to the house by adding a 15 by 30 foot addition with two bedrooms and I was going to build it for $10 a square foot. Which we did, by the way. It's pretty amazing. And so I did all the concrete work myself. I, I drove up to Dalton, got the carpet myself. Uh, we tore down the porch, redesigned it, used the same wood to rebuild it. Uh, my dad had a next-door neighbor who had windows that were taking out. He gave me those measurements, so we used my, my neighbor in Illinois' windows to put in there. Just, it was a pretty amazing journey. And so in one week, my dad came down, my father-in-law came down, and we built a 15 by 30 foot addition on my house. And from the outside, it looked completely finished. We did all the shingling, we did all the guttering, we did all the fascia, we did all the siding. Uh, I did have to finish the drywalling inside. Um, we did all the electrical. My dad was a school teacher who also built homes during the summer. Just a great experience. And yet, after that experience, I went, I should never work with my dad again. Our strengths are both so strong, but they are so incompatible. Because I am very deductive, I'm very fast, 
my dad, and I have got really terrible finishing skills. My dad has great finishing skills and is very uh, slow and precise. And I realized that we were going to have a poorer relationship if we did that kind of stuff together. Once every 10 years, great moment. But I realized in order, because I love my dad, because I want a great relationship with my dad, we ought to not work together most of the time. That's just not good for us. My brother and sister-in-law, they decided to rent from my parents when they took over executor of my will, my grandparents, a real estate company, when they passed away. My brother was constantly calling me, can you believe that mom and dad are doing this? I'm like, Ryan, you shouldn't rent homes from your in-laws or your parents. It just, it creates possibilities for, for complex relationships. Just for the sake of your relationship with dad and mom, for the sake of their relationship with you, move I don't know what those boundaries look like, but there's ways to set boundaries, not because you don't care about your family, because you want to care about your family. Set up some healthy boundaries. In her book, Toxic In-Laws, the counselor who wrote the book was talking with a woman named Erica. And Erica was struggling with a mother-in-law who criticized her driving all the time. Wherever she drove, don't park there, that's a little too close. This is not the right way, there's a much faster way to go. And at some degree, she sort of tolerated and tolerated. She got to the point, she's like, I'm starting to resent this. I'm starting to really hate my mother-in-law. I don't want to hate my mother-in-law, but I just cannot endure the amount of criticism. So she worked with a counselor to say, well, what does it look like for you to set a boundary? You're a pleaser. It's hard for you to set boundaries. How can you set a, please, uh, set a boundary? So they were driving down the car. She sort of in, had a counselor who sort of helped her with how to say this graciously and not let all that anger and resentment come out. They're driving down the road. She's like, I really don't think this is the way to go. She pulled the car over the side of the road, put it in park, Got out, opened the door and said, yeah, it's clear you're not real happy with my driving. You've got a better way. I'm going to go ahead and let you drive. She said it calmly. (laughs) He walked over and drove. She got in the car. You know, my husband says I criticize his driving all the time too. And I'm not saying this is how people are going to react most of the time. But that became a catalyst in their relationship where actually the mother-in-law said to her, I know I do this. Listen, I'll give you permission to, if I start doing it, to remind me, back to that, speak up for healthy behavior, not to get carried away, to catch myself sooner, if you give me another chance. Now, most people, you know, wake up. Most people don't react that way. But if you don't set up the boundaries of what you're going to allow people to do and not do, then you, it's going to end up coming out and you're going to speak up out of anger and resentment not out of something healthy. What does it look like for you to set up healthy behaviors that speak up for what is good and what is healthy and what is right and what is pure? Because if you and I don't decide how to play the game, it's going to play us. So decide how to play the game so it doesn't play you and doesn't play us. That's what the series has been about. That's the goal. Decide how to play the game so the game doesn't decide how to play you. Now, I bet you as I've talked about these four things, there's one you're good at and one you're not. So I want you to pick one this morning. As you think about your uh, immediate family and extended family, do you need to speak up for some healthy behaviors? We had a great family meeting last night where we got together and we just spoke up and just had a great discussion where my wife and I, just before both of my kids um, and my future son-in-law said, hey, I want you to know, here are the things that my wife and I are committed to. Here, here's, we don't always have an easy marriage with the challenges going on these last nine months, but we have a great marriage. And you know what? We, we are 
are kind to each other and we want to adapt to each other. And we want you guys to know that that's true about us. And we want you to know, here are our ways we want to speak to each other. We want to ask you guys to hold us accountable if we're not. We want you to know, our family is so valuable to us. We want this to be a place of refuge for all of us, a place that we can have bad days and a place that we can... And we really sort of reaffirmed some of the things that are true about the Hoven household. Do you need to speak up? Or are you letting chaos and gossip and, and screaming and swearing and all that stuff just sort of go wherever it is? Or do you have some set up and speak up, make a covenant with each other? Are you optimistic, maybe naive, and you need to wake up to the reality that maybe there's some things going on that you sort of let go that you need to not let slide? Or maybe you have been talking way too much and it hasn't been particularly constructive to your family or extended family or your in-laws or your outlaws. And you need to say, God, I need to process some things. I have let 10 years, 20 years of resentment spew out in very unhealthy ways. God, help me button up, not take these hooks, process what's going on, get a counsel, get somebody to help me process that. And maybe together or individually, you need to set up some boundaries. How can you continue to extend grace and forgiveness even to people who've hurt you, even to people who you might even call your enemy? That's the power of what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus doesn't come to rescue and help good people. He came as the son of David, the son of this man we've been studying. And while on the cross, with nails pounded into his feet, pounded into his hands, we see him extending grace to destructive people. (laughs) Forgiveness. Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing fully. The power of the forgiveness and the message of Jesus is so palpable that it can transform your life and allow you to not only set boundaries to unhealthy people, but also to try and woo them back in healthy ways. So this week I called a friend of mine who I talked to about a month ago, and I said, you told me in a story that was so powerful. Could you remind me the details so I get it right? And as she told the story, I said, are you in town? Could you just come in uh, this weekend and just tell the story? She said, I would love to. So I would love for you to hear uh, firsthand the story of how God's forgiveness works in very complicated family dynamics from my friend uh, uh, Brenda. Can we invite Brenda to come on up? Hi. Good morning. Good morning. Brenda has been a good friend of mine for 15 years. She attended Horizon even before I did. She has shared her story publicly uh, many times. So I want to catch you up if you haven't heard it before, and then we're going to pick the story up uh, in what we've talked about the last couple months. So Brenda has shared that she went through a very, very difficult situation uh, in her marriage involving polygamy, not by her, but by her spouse, uh, destruction of property. And we cried together. We prayed together for five years during that whole process. And that's really what drew her to, to find faith and to find God. And that kind of culminated in her baptism, which was six years ago now, nine years oh, ago? it's been longer than that. I can't even remember. Well, pick nine. us up there. So however long yeah. goes, it nine years ago. And let's talk about how that forgiveness, what God put in you, has allowed you to continue to extend grace to people who've hurt you pretty badly. Yeah. Well, in the process of coming to church, I'm working in the back, putting up all the stuff, listening to you. I say to John Kirby, hey, I want to get baptized. Pick a date. So about three minutes later, he comes back. He says, this is the date. I couldn't believe it. It was my wedding anniversary, which was fabulous because I was married for decades, and I'd always remembered that date, and now I had something new. So back then, I, in this big deal, five-year process, I decided, I'm reading books. I decided to forgive my husband. And I thought, what a great day to do it. I'll do it the day I get baptized. 
And my son was kind of on a continuum between uh, atheism, agnostic, believer. Somewhere in that continuum. It's really important for me to have him there. So I asked him if he would come, and he said yes. So I got baptized in Carl Leonard's pool. My son's sitting on the side, kind of looking around like, whoa, do we have Jesus freaks here? But <laughs> y'all were nice, and he was calm. So I got baptized, and I forgave my husband. So it was a process because it was like two steps forward, one step back. You know, I'm in the middle of evil. I didn't even believe in evil until I got involved in evil. And eventually, though, when I look back, I did it. And I, and I experienced what's in the Bible. They talk about a peace beyond all understanding. I didn't even know what that was. And now I experience, I guess I finally did it. I forgave him. I have a peace beyond all understanding. So now, kind of fast forward. Also, before you go fast forward, and your son helped you. Yeah, oh, my son, yes, that's the most important part. Thank you. (laughs) I realized, as I'm coming out of the water, I really, my son really helped me. So I thanked him. I said, Zachary, thank you. You have helped me forgive your father because my son was so gracious to this unrepentant offender. He was so gracious. And he looked at me and he said, Mom, he's the only father I have. And I was just so grateful for that. Mm. So fast forward, we got years going by, and my son is getting married to a fiancé that I adore. This year? This year, right? Oh, in two months, in the beginning of November. And he's an Eagle Scout. They're getting married at Yosemite National Park, outside in God's glory. It's just great. Well, I'm hosting several of the activities. And last October, my son and his fiancée came home here. They live in California, Cincinnati, and said, Dad's not coming. And I know it's really important to my son for him to come. I said, let's brainstorm. How can we get him to come? So we're thinking of ideas and this and that and the other summer it's a blue sky, believe me. Some of them I didn't even agree to. Anyway, like, you can't come to some activities. Are you kidding? Anyway, um, I said to him, look, here's the bottom line. Two things. Number one, if he does refuse to come, please do not take this personally. It's his choice. Um, and you, what was the other one? <laughs> They were worried that you were not going to be able to oh. handle it, that you were going to be the problem. Yes, yes. They were, somewhere along the line, they're worried that I might be the problem. So I said to him, look, what you can do is you can go to... He lives in England. I, I haven't seen him in years be, since I've been divorced. He lives in a different country. I just don't cross his path. I forgave him. I just don't bump into him. I said, go to England and talk to somebody. When you talk to somebody face-to-face... Yeah, tell them how important it is tell to you. Tell them how important yeah. it is to you, and, and I'm not going to be a problem. I love weddings, um, <laughs> especially your wedding, <laughs> at any rate. Uh, so they did, and it's still, we don't know, okay? So now the wedding's the beginning of November, and I'm hosting some activities. I, I want to know the guest list. I'm the hostess. I have to know who's coming. And he said his father was coming with his family, with the girls, maybe the wife won't come. And, and I got the impression that there's maybe a problem with me. So I thought about it, and then about a week later, I called them both back, and I said, look, I want to make something perfectly clear here. It would be my honor and my grace 
to host them at this wedding for all activities for their family and anybody else they want to bring. And, and as far as his wife goes, I, I understand there's a little hesitancy there. I said to, the, to my future daughter-in-law, I said, I want you to save her place, even if she says she's not coming. Save her place. I can't imagine coming from England with kids to this beautiful, magnificent yeah. wedding. She's not coming. It doesn't make sense to me. I said, save her place. I don't care what she says. Save her place and everything because I hope she comes. Yeah. So for me, it was really interesting because <laughs> this stuff is buried really deep. You know, when you have to admit stuff to yourself? Yeah. Because I had nightmares for two days after this. I was shocked. I remembered things that... I'm a positive person. I think of good things. I mean, my marriage, I think of just the good things. My children, how about that for something great? I was remembering things I hadn't thought of in years. I was remembering things I didn't even know I knew. It was really shocking to me. Mm -hmm. and, and that was a revelation. But I took a deep breath and I said, you know what? God's with me. So it's real interesting. Chad calls me up a couple of days ago and says, oh, yeah, remind me or whatever. And I said, oh, I'll come. So I'm here. And I'm here to tell you, last night I had nightmares. But there was a difference to the end of this one. Because at the end, incorporated into my dream, all the pieces came together. And the bottom line for me was, I, I have God with me. I'm going to be okay. And, and I just feel a peace beyond all understanding. Mm -hmm. Well, that was just so amazing to see. Not just forgiveness as a theory, but the idea that it would yeah. compel you to not only love your son, which is obvious, but to want to brainstorm with your son to help make sure he has a good relationship with your, with your ex, even uh, considering yeah. the history you guys have. Yeah, especially when, I mean, he knows. I was shattered during yeah. this process. I was in tears. I was a mess. I yeah. couldn't speak. Hmm. And I look back on all this and I have one word. The whole thing was a blessing. Hmm. Let me pray for you and wherever you are with your extended family and whatever thing you're wrestling with, uh, God can, is just a master. Now, the king's horses can't put Humpty Dumpty back together again, but God can. I've seen him do it in people's lives over and over again. So I want to pray for Brenda and pray that God would use his grace and his strength in your life as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Brenda. We just thank you for the way in which you've bubbled up even some more venom that you want to clear out of her. We thank you, Father, that you love us enough not to uh, let that stuff sit in our hearts. God, family's challenging, and life is challenging. But, Father, we, uh, we want the kind of good stuff in our heart that comes from you, love and joy and peace and courage and self-control and fearlessness. So, Father, I ask that you would... Uh, Invite each person here, wherever we are in our faith, wherever we are in our belief, and whether this was a neat story today or something we think really happened, I ask God you would use these truths to draw us to what we really want, which is you. You with us, giving us wisdom in our biggest challenges. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we thank Brenda for being thank here you. this morning? Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for the help. <laughs> Well, as we finish up today, maybe you need some more uh, specific guidance. You know, we have Bible studies um, to get in relationships where people can help coach you through these things. But one of the things we've done the last three years, specifically for men, has been a, a men's journey where you can get along and figure out how to be the kind of husband you want to be, how to lead your family the way you want to lead. And so we are starting that up again this year. It's called Authentic Manhood. 
Many of you have heard Ken Kington. He's a stand-up comedian. He's an inspirational speaker, one of our favorite guest speakers here at Horizons. He's been speaking with us for 15 years. He has agreed to come in for, for five weeks. And he's going to fly in for the weekend. He is going to, while he's there, he's going to do two versions of the authentic manhood, man and his design. Building relationships with other men and really giving you a roadmap for where you want to go and how you want to get where you want to get. Now, there's two tracks for that. So if you're a night person, there's a Sunday night track. He'll be flying in on Sunday nights. That's Sunday, September 30th at 8 p.m. to 9.15 p.m. That's one of the tracks. And that starts on November 4th. I'm sorry, that starts on September uh, 30th, you see in the program. Then there's another track that starts actually a week later. That's the Monday morning track, if you're a morning person. Monday, October 1st, and that's at 6.09 a.m. So these are two different tracks. If you miss a week, you can catch it up with the other one. There's a Sunday night track, and there's a Monday morning track. And Ken is a fantastic communicator, but he also has just got a real heart for walking with and building relationships with men. That is something he's been doing in, in his career, not only as a comedian, as a communicator, something he does down in Atlanta. And when he heard he had the opportunity to help put a roadmap together for guys who wanted to figure out how to just be better. And we all feel like we're the captain of the Bad Husbands Club. Uh, So how can we get out of that club and get into a club of doing better? So if this is helpful to you, feel free to come along, bring a friend. It's only a five- or six-week commitment, um, six-week commitment. And so we just encourage you to do that as a way of propelling yourself and how do you put these complex situations with marriage and family together. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week with Ken. Uh, Our series continues on The Really Wed Game. Thanks so much.